Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Healthnetics. Do you have nagging aches and pains from your younger, more athletic days? Healthnetics CBD is a premium brand CBD that may help take care of aches and pains, as well as relieve anxiety and sleeplessness. Healthnetics products are all natural, THC-free, made in the USA, and undergo third-party lab testing to ensure quality and purity. All CBD is not the same. Order today with a money-back guarantee at healthnetics.com and use promo code SPORTS for 20% off. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Plus, buy one Samsung Galaxy S9 and get one free with 24 monthly bill credits so you and your family can binge your Netflix favorites on your new phones. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due, well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. What's better than this? It's the Draft Dudes Podcast. I am Kyle Krabs, Director of Scouting and NDT Scouting uh, and Draft Analyst at FanRag Sports. And I am joined, as always, by my co-pilot, Joe Marino, FanRag Sports, Director, Assistant Director of Scouting and NDT Scouting. And Joe, oh my goodness, it feels like Christmas because it's the Combine Week. Yeah, man, for us grown men, Christmas just comes uh, for us a couple times a year, uh, Senior Bowl, Combine, and uh, this is just our next Christmas, and uh, I'm excited for you to be down there in Indy, being our boots on the ground for Fan Rag and NDT Scouting. I'll be uh, at home in the office, plugging away numbers, making sure that we have real-time data to share for the people, so you can retract the results and have everything in a nice, clean format to, uh, you know, get your eyes on these numbers. I know we've been waiting for them. The data is finally here, and I'll be tracking it for you, and uh, we'll cover this combine as best we can. Yeah, I feel, you know, I do not envy you. Um, I still think you should buy a plane ticket, man. Just just fly (laughs) up. You can lock yourself in the hotel room and... uh, you know, just be a part of the experience. But no, seriously, um, Joe, you do, 
I, I seriously do not envy you because that is a bear of a project and you've knocked it out of the park the last couple of years. Uh, so please be sure everybody who is listening to tune in, you guys can get live updates, whether you're at work, whether you're with the girlfriend, away at sure. home, if you're doing grocery shopping, whatever. We got you covered. Don't worry. Uh, but before we get into the combine, we'll do a nice combine preview show uh, on Wednesday. And at this point in time, we are going to welcome a good friend of ours onto the show. Uh, Mr. Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy is joining us to talk about some uh, draft philosophy, which is always a fun break from taking time to talk about uh, the specifics of player evaluation, what we do and don't like about prospects. So, Dan, first of all, welcome to the Draft Dudes. It's good to have you. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and... um, First of all, for anybody who's not familiar with your works and your background, can you just give everybody uh, a, a brief SparkNotes version of, of your background and where we can find you now? Fair enough. Um, I'm spoiled. I got lucky at 20 years old to get a shot to work for the New York Giants. Uh, so I spent time with them. And I say spoiled because my first year in the league, I got a Super Bowl ring. Um Spent time with them. I coached in college at UMass, coaching D-line and special teams. I worked for the Jets uh, and ultimately the Philadelphia Eagles uh, before stepping out to found the Scouting Academy, which is where I'm at now. Uh, We're an online education platform trying to help those that think they have interest in scouting as a career, whether it be media, team, college, what have you, trying to give them a leg up, uh, teach them the basics and get them prepared for the life that they're looking to enjoy. Yeah, and I made reference when we brought you on that you're a good friend. Uh, I'd certainly consider you a good friend. You've been very gracious with your time to to speak with me at length about uh, the work that I do with NDT and give me feedback and kind of encourage that critical thinking, which is one of the things I really love about uh, all of the, the guys that come out of the Scouting Academy is there's a higher level of thinking than just you know, what you see from the casual fan. And uh, that kind of disparity is what motivated us to bring you on today we had had a conversation uh, that I had chimed in on at the end of last week on social media on Twitter where uh, you had gotten into some uh, at length conversations regarding uh, draft values and and board construction and how there's some fans might be confused at the disparity between how many first round values they give to players versus uh, there being 32 first round draft grades because there's got to be 32 picks so uh, can you just give us uh, whatever tidbits from your experiences in the league uh, how that roster or how that board construction works and um, why there is that disparity between 32 first round selections and any given team's specific number of first round values sure so the the note that I had shared which it was with any of the teams that I worked for, the most first round grades on our individual team board in that given year, the most I saw was 25 and the fewest I saw was 17. And so that was designed to just share with people that I had never worked for a team that had valued 32 players in an individual class as being worthy of the designation um, at the top of their grading scale of our first round pick. And teams have a variety of different looking grading scales. Even in the first round, I've seen teams have as much as four different categories 
for first rounders with the floor basically being you expect a pro bowler um, when you're selecting somebody in that round. And again, so the, the point was we had never, or I had never come across a team that had valued 32 players in an individual draft class at that level. And yeah, there was, um, it seemed to be the differentiation point for some people was trying to wrap their head around, but 32 players get drafted. So wouldn't you need 32 picks on your board in the first round in order to cover all the players that would be taken in the first round? And that was kind of where the back and forth went. Right. And I guess one of the things that gets lost in the weeds with that concept is 32 different teams have 32 different sets of criteria. So just because Dan, you know, when you're with the New York Giants and they might be out of first round grades doesn't mean uh, the New England Patriots or the Pittsburgh Steelers don't still have players on their board that they find are worth a first round pick, right? Yeah. I mean, teams at the top of the second round are still going to be drafting players that they had first round grades on uh, in most situations. The, the difference being is you have your individual board. So let's go ahead and take that 25 number, right? So you're, you're you know, team X. We're the Eagles, I guess, the last team I was with. So we're the Eagles. We've got 25 guys on our board, and we're going through the first round, and we've made a selection in the first round off of one of those 25 players. Well, as other teams are picking in and around our pick, some of them are going to take players that we didn't personally have a first-round grade on. They had a first-round grade on them. We might have had a second. Some cases, maybe you even had a third-round grade on them, depending on how the process moved for you. And so players will be taken, again, that may not have been first-rounders on your board, such that, let's say you're picking at the top of the second round, you might still have a couple of guys of those 25 still remaining. You could potentially walk out of a draft feeling really good because the way the board fell, you got two players that you felt could have been first-rounders. Yeah, you know, Dan, when I uh, think about all this, I'm kind of curious, how much deviation is there? How many times from your experience did a player that a team actually invested a draft pick on pick somebody that didn't have the same value as they did on the board when they graded them? Say, you know, you're picking in the third round, but uh, you pick somebody that's a reach, a fourth or a fifth round grade. Is it is it pretty much a true marriage 100% of the time between value and where players actually get selected based on teams' boards? So to try to kind of bring that question to an answer, I'll say it this way. Um, I had not come across a team, again, in the time that I was working for them, that had to draft a player in the seventh round that didn't at least have a sixth round grade on it. In some cases you were still drafting guys with fourth or fifth round grades on them. Um, you know, so there's 256 selections and some teams are going into the draft with 125 names on their board. So clearly they're not putting 255 guys on their board because that's how many are going to get taken they're putting on the number that they feel they want to draft and where they would like to draft them. And then as that comes through, a lot of times, the first the first 50 picks are tougher because there's just not as many people typically in a given draft class that are worthy of those designations. Um, but by the time you hit picks outside of that, you're usually picking at least at that valuation level, if not still from a valuation level or two above. Again, I've seen teams taking second rounders in the fourth. 
Um, again, fourth rounders in the sixth, things of that nature have absolutely happened. Yeah, I think the most extreme example of that that I can remember uh, somebody from a front office uh, actually come out and, and say publicly, you know, in a press conference after a draft was when the Miami Dolphins selected Lamar Miller, uh, 97th pick in the fourth round. They actually came out and said uh, that, that based on you know, their board, they had given him a first round value. They liked him that much. So I think that's a nice illustration of maybe the Dolphins felt like uh, in that 2012 draft class, they had four guys that they had gotten a first round pick on, or maybe the, the running back depth and the value uh, of that position had caused him to drop further down. But you get to a certain point where it's, okay, this is a quality enough player that you know, we feel highly about him. So this makes sense as a draft selection for that. Uh, Dan, I guess my next question for you is um, when you get into a situation where, where you're on the clock and say you're you're picking in the back half of the first round. Uh, all these teams seem to take up a majority of their their clock time in order to make that selection. Uh, how much of that is weighing uh, a disparity between maybe there is they're out of players uh, with the value for the draft selection that they have, and they're trying to find you know a, a more attractive alternative for them to go, whether that's a trade or kicking around players in the next tier uh, that they would have to make a selection with. I'm curious if, if that had been something that you had run into or if it's always been you're reaching above and getting players with better value you know, after you get into the later portions of the draft. Well, there's certainly a plausible scenario where a team is sitting there, you know, let's say pick you know, 28, um, and they don't feel like they have anybody left that they – feel comfortable drafting at that level and maybe looking to trade out. Um, but generally speaking, when I see teams taking up the majority of the clock time, um, the per, you know, again, you've, you've only got a certain number of minutes. Uh, again, if you're sitting there at 28, you're watching the board come to you by somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, maybe pick 23 or so, you're going to set a line in the sand and say, okay, when it gets to this point in time in the draft, you know, we're going to bring everybody back together because everybody might not be sitting at the same table anxiously awaiting having a conversation. You might be going off, grab a drink, grab a bite to eat, maybe you need to use the restroom or what have you. But all right, everyone has to be back when we hit pick 23. That puts us X amount of picks or time out from when we expect to go. And then we're going to look at the board and we're going to figure out who's left that we're excited about. You know, I remember being in a room and we had uh, determined that there was a position that we felt had great depth at that point in the draft. And it was also a huge position in need. So it was going to be win-win, you know, the depth is there and it fills a big need for us. And we had three different players at that position um, that we felt good about. So, the board's coming, it's coming, and again, we bring everybody back together. All three players are still available. We're five or six picks out, whenever it was. And all of a sudden, one of the guys goes off the board. And so then the conversation starts shifting. So now we don't have three options. Now we're down to two options. But as we really started to weigh the two options, one was better than the other in a certain situation. It was better pass rusher. We really wanted to acquire that player. So we traded up at that moment. 
said, okay, screw it. We're not going to sit around and wait and hope the guy comes to us. We're going to get proactive and jump up um, and make that selection you know, and lock that player in so that we get to make the choice. The choice is not made for us by sitting around and waiting. So when you're sitting there on that clock, you're doing things like that. You're going through those scenarios of, okay, who's going to be there? Do we need to move up? And then you've got to start making phone calls to see if you can get that deal done. A lot of those phone calls may be done ahead of time. There is some work you can lay down you know, in, in the days leading up to, especially the first round. But you'll be going through that process. People will be calling you. Sometimes they're just gamesmanship. Taking up more of the clock may show indecisiveness to other clubs. And you might get a call from a GM that says, you know, screw it. We want to come up and make the pick now because we know who we want. And maybe a deal gets done that might not have manifested if you rushed up in major selection. So, you know, again, there's really not a particular reason from a game theory standpoint to rush up to the clock in the first 30 seconds. I know from the viewer standpoint, it gets a little lengthy. It might be easier if we, uh, for us to watch if it moved a little faster. Um, but there's really no reason for them to jump up even a second early and, and turn the ticket in. Dan, so on the flip side of things, for a team picking high in the draft, say the top 10, and for this example, we'll say a team is picking sixth, how much of it is, you know, we're going to make a list of every player in order that we would want to pick with the sixth pick in the draft, and then you literally just peel those names off, and the highest one available is the one you pick, or you have an abundance of players and you think about trading back because you would still be satisfied with uh, a player on your list. Is, is it that simple, or does does the way things unfold really dictate it more than you know what we hear GMs a lot of times say, yeah, the haze in the barn, we just peel off the names, and the one on the top of the list is the one we turn in the card for? I think that the closer you are to the top of the draft, the easier it is to do that, and plenty of teams do do that. You know, Again, if you're sitting at the sixth pick, we've done all that, had every conversation. We've differentiated in every way possible. Here are our top six in order. And then to your point, yes, whenever uh, we're up, whoever the top guy is on the board, easy, take them. Uh, in, the, in the days and weeks leading up to it, you'll go through um, situations in the draft room that are you know we're we're going through mocks in the draft room in the, in the weeks leading up, going through and you know having conversations as if it was live, preparing for uh, what might happen on draft night, you know. And, and I've seen teams take all right, we're going to take. Um, I'm going to draw a blank on the gentleman from Dallas Morning News that for years and years had the top rated mock draft. Anyway. Um, you know, take his mock draft and start, you know, leveraging that along with a couple of other sources to build an example board and then start kind of going through the exercise of, okay, we expect this guy to go to this team and this guy to go to this team. And you start playing with those and then you start having those situations, you know, unfold to you. Okay. Well, if these guys are all gone, where do we want to go here, there? Um, the piece that gets, I think that I wish everybody kind of understood is that teams do not rank their board one to a hundred because rankings do not provide clarity. The reason I say that is that if you put guys in order from one to a hundred, just, just by stacking it that way, it presents to the viewer that there is a standard deviation between each pick. 
that the gap between one and two is the same between 16 and 17 is the same between 42 and 43. That is not in any way, shape or form how boards manifest. That's why teams use a combination of a horizontal and vertical board. So on the horizontal axis, you have all the positions available in the draft, everything from your quarterback to your punters and long snappers. And then vertically, however your grading system runs, typically just by round, first, second, third, fourth, what have you, you stack them that way. And so you have this huge visuals aid on the wall in front of you. And so you might be sitting there at pick 17, and you might have a linebacker, a tight end, and a safety, all with the same grade. They all have first-round grades. You like all of them. And so those are the conversations that move away from, we'll just take best player available. Well, yes, if one guy across all those positions is definitively the highest rated guy, well, then, yes, if you're a best player available team, your decision making is very, very simple. The reason why it can get convoluted is because sometimes you come into that and you have two, three, four different players available to you while you're on the clock that you have the same grade for. And you have to find some way to differentiate between those two, three, four guys on where we want to go. Ideally, you do as much of that prep work ahead of time. But, you know, Laramie Tunsil come, gets a video posted of him in a gas mask and all hell breaks loose in the first 13 picks. And everything that you've done to prepare for how those scenarios might unfold goes out the window because a guy that you might have expected to be gone is now on the board for you. And you never had the conversation with your owner and your team about because we don't expect him to be there. What do we do with him? You might just pass and stick to, you know, go with another direction because you haven't fleshed out that entire thought process. Again, the more prep work these teams can do ahead of time, the better off they are. Dan, that's a really interesting point. Uh, and this will be the last one we have for you. Uh, but throughout the course of that explanation, you got into uh, simulations and simulations that teams will do out in, in front of the draft. Um, how, how soon prior to the draft or how far out from the draft um, – in your experience, has that board been finalized and those real simulations start taking place? And how extensive are they as far as do, do they realistically slot each and every pick each time you do it out in front of you so that each time you're getting a different theoretical board between the players that are left for you to choose from? So the, the board really gets finalized when the coaches have been able to submit their grades and when the executive tier has had a chance to look at the players that they want to look at. So the area guys doing their work in the fall, presenting the board, beginning of December and what have you is, is excellent. It's, it's very valuable work. But ultimately, the board's going to be set by the top guys. The top guys want to see, okay, I've got what my scouts think. I want to hear what my coaches think. Then ultimately, myself, my personnel director, assistant GM, whatever the titles are, my head coach, we want to look at the players and we will determine how valuable they are. And so depending on the efficiency of those decision makers process, um, you know, there'll be teams that have 90 to 95% of everything pretty much already set. Um, there's a few guys where there's some question marks you're going to get out of the combine, out of the pro day, but you very well might have things set. Now, some teams it will go all the way up to the beginning of April after all the pro days have concluded, all the juniors have been evaluated, all the decision makers have had a chance to take a look at who they deem worthy um, and, and work through it all that way. And so, you know, ultimately the GM is taking the information from a, a multitude of people 
you've evaluated, you know, maybe 800, maybe a thousand different players, but organizationally speaking, and you're trying to build a board. Like I said, some teams get all the way down to 125. Uh, some teams have seen upwards of 200, 225. So the GM is going to decide how we pair on the board. How many guys do I need on it? And then the GM is going to want to see everybody on that board. And so, again, let's say you go to 125, but it might take the GM watching 225 to get to 125. And that individual has to also work all their other job facets during the course of the fall, prepare for free agency, negotiate with agents, deal with the owner, do media spots, all that stuff. They're not just able to grind tape all day, every day. So whoever's on the board, the GM wants to see them and grade them so that they're not picking someone that they've never seen before. And the only way they can do that is by getting the information from their scouts on who they should be prioritizing in their film watching process. But the board cannot be set until that final decision maker feels like they have all the pieces in place for that to be maximized. Dan, this is great stuff. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule uh, to, to sit and chat with us. Uh, do me a favor. Tell everybody, A, where they can find you on social media where they can find out more information about the Scouting Academy, anybody who's interested in a career in scouting. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. I've heard nothing but great things about Dan's uh, platform and, and the curriculum that they have put together, and they've got some great football guys in there. So, Dan, just do me a favor, frame that for everybody, and we'll let you out of here. So I'm on social media, particularly Twitter, at uh, Dan underscore Hatman. You can find more information on the our scoutingacademy.com. And just to kind of do my 30,000 foot, it's a 16-week online program designed to teach the fundamentals of this to people that want to work in media and do analysis there, want to work for teams, pro or college, uh, just want to get better as fans and understanding the game. And we are very privileged uh, to say that our ninth alumni just got a job with an NFL team. Alex Smith just got a pro scouting job in Tampa Bay. Uh, So the alumni are taking this curriculum and they are leveraging it incredibly well. That's great. Dan, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate having you on. Thanks, guys. That's going to do it for us today, folks, on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan. I learned a ton, and every time I interact with Dan, it's just uh, an opportunity for me to soak up the wisdom. So I hope that you did the same. And if you enjoyed this as much as uh, as we did, I hope that you'll share this podcast. Tell somebody else about it. Tell them that they can hear from somebody who's been in the war room and seen how the boards are stacked and how NFL teams actually go about making their decisions. Uh, this is this was truly peeling back the curtains and getting a, a look at, at how this is done. So this was quite revealing and educational. I loved it. I hope you did as well. Uh, keep track with Kyle and I on Twitter. We love talking football with you. Kyle is at NDT Scouting. I am at the Joe Marino. We've got a Facebook page. We're getting that thing cranking, so make sure that you are uh, are liking us there. We are Facebook.com slash NDT Scouting. We'll be back again for you on Wednesday to preview the Combine. And signing off for Kyle Krabs, I'm Joe Marino, and this is the Draft Dudes Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.